Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the the Lord. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me this morning to 1 Kings chapter 2 and also to 2 Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to be going to several different passages, but those will be my two main passages this morning, 1 Kings chapter 2 and 2 Samuel chapter 10. Always a pleasure to preach on Father's Day. Um, because as, uh, as you know, I believe very much in men. I believe in fathers. Wow. I believe in men and I believe in fathers. Don't you? We need men and we need fathers. In this culture more than ever, we need that. And I know this church believes in them too. And we've got great examples uh, in our church family of solid, faithful men uh, good husbands, good fathers, and, and I'm thankful for that legacy that we have even in our own church. And so today I want to preach to you from 1 Kings chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 1. This is the last days of David, and this is the last thing that he says to his son before he passes away. And let me just say to you uh, in this room this morning that the greatest thing that we do in this life is lead our families in a relationship with Christ Jesus. Amen. The greatest thing that you will ever accomplish in this life is leading your family in a relationship with Christ. Whether you're a, a, a mother or, or a father, whether you're, you know, whoever you are, if you are investing in the lives of the next generation and the current generation and teaching them the values and the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ, let me just tell you, don't let the world minimize that, that activity. That is the most important activity that you can be engaged in in this life. It's not about making money. It's not about acquiring more stuff. But the greatest activity that we could ever invest our energy, time, and money into is changing lives for the purpose of the advancement of the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen to that this morning. All right. This is the greatest legacy that you will leave after you're gone. And, and I want to say to fathers today, I'm not just, of course, preaching to fathers. We highly value women in this church. I believe in ladies in leadership. I think they are vital to the church. I think they have sustained the church for years and years. But this is Father's Day, and so I want to hone in on dads today. But, it, but I'm sure there's something that everybody can glean uh, from this morning's message. But I want to say that there is no greater accomplishment then in, after, after you're gone, that your legacy is lived on in the life of kids who love God in their adulthood. And, and I want to also say that we cannot control whether or not they will continue to follow God. That, that's beyond our ability to control. They have a choice in the matter, but we can ensure... We can ensure that they have been taught and instructed in the Christian life. And we can know that with that instruction comes a promise that that instruction will not depart from them ever. 
It will always be with them. It will follow them around the rest of their lives. They may not choose to follow God, but God will choose to follow, that instruction will choose to follow them forever and ever. That teaching and that example is really a father's greatest legacy. And that's what I want to talk to you about today is a father's legacy. 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 1 says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Now listen here. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And he says, and keep the charge of the Lord your God. Here's what he tells him. To walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, to keep his commandments, to keep his judgments, to keep his testimonies. And it is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. He says, son, I'm about to pass on. I'm about to leave this life. But if I can leave you with a nugget, let me leave you with this. Be strong and prove yourself to be a man. And here's how you do it. You follow the ways of the Lord. You stay close to God. You keep His commandments, His judgment, His ways. And if you will do that, God will bless you all the days of your life. These are the last words of a father to a son. Be strong. Prove yourself a man. Be faithful to the things that I've taught you. And the things that I've shown you. And so today I want to give you four lessons from David on manhood. The the legacy that he leaves his son. Today is, uh, again, it's Father's Day and I'm primarily focusing on men today. But of course there's something for all of us in the place today. The first example that I want to take us to is a story uh, that probably many of you have not heard. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 10. And uh, what has happened is the king of Ammon has passed away. And now his son is the new king. David has a good relationship with the old king of Ammon. And uh, he wants to honor him. And he wants to pay him some tribute because they've had a good relationship. And so he sends some guys over to the king to to comfort the son and just to honor the father uh, during this time of transition and this time of loss. But here's the problem. The son is an insecure leader. An insecure leader sees everything as a threat. He listens to bad counsel. He takes counsel from some, from some other guys that give him some bad counsel. And what they come up with is that David is not here to really honor my father, but he's here to spy out the land and he's here to cause us trouble. And so what he does, we find in verse 4. Turn there with me. And this is quite a, quite a showing here. Quite a story. Therefore, Hanan took David's servants... He shaved off half of their beards and he cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks. It's okay for me to say that because it's in the Bible. And then he sent them away. And so what you have here is a guy that has sent men to honor and show high regard for a king, but he has been hum- they have been humiliated. They have been disrespected. And they have been sent away. And I love this about David. This, this shows you his, his fatherly heart in verse 5. It says, when they told David, when David heard what had happened to these men, he sent to meet them. He understands they're at a place of humiliation. They're at a place of disrespect. David hears about it and he goes out and finds them. And this is what he tells them. He says, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said... 
You could also interchange there and say, and the father said... Or the shepherd said, you know, David was a great kingly shepherd. He understood how to take care of those around him. He says this to them. He says, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then you guys come back. There's no need for everybody to see you in your humiliation. There's no need for everybody to understand that you've been disrespected. That's between me and you. And I'm telling you, I love you whether you got a full beard, a half beard, or no beard. It doesn't matter to me. I just want you to go to Jericho and I want you to wait there. You've been humiliated. Go to Jericho until you get your beard back. You know, you get your dignity back. And so the first, first lesson that David teaches us is that we have to put the man back into manhood. Put the man back into manhood. God created them, let me tell you this morning, God created them male and female. He created them. He created you to be a man and nothing less than that. It's time that we men put dignity back into manhood. I am personally, I am sick of the betrayal by the world of men. How they portray men in the world around us. I'm not a bumbling idiot like the family guy or Homer Simpson or every other cartoon dad that you see on TV. I am not a lazy lug like Doug on the King of Queens. I am not an incompetent like Raymond Barone. I am not incompetent, I am not unqualified, ill-equipped, I'm not weak or powerless. I'm not able, unable to understand or lacking the resources or the ingenuity to deal with whatever comes my way. I am a man and more than that, I am a man of God. A man of authority and a man under authority. Somebody say amen to that. That's who we are. That's who we are. Not what the world says we are. That's who we are. And the truth is we've been humiliated and we've been disrespected by the world and it's time for us to get our dignity back and put some man back into manhood this morning. Amen. So respect is required and respect will be given. It's going to be mutual or there's going to be a problem. Can I take it one step further this morning? Being a Christian man does not require surgery. Whoever said, whoever said that you had to be emasculated to be assimilated? It's circumcision, not castration, that the Lord requires. And what the world has tried to do is he's tried to make us into spiritual eunuchs lacking the power to produce when God has called us very much to be virile and capable of producing fruit for the kingdom of God. That's what God wants from us as men. Amen. That's good stuff. What Christ wants from men is manhood. What Christ wants from men is manhood. I believe that manhood... And Christ's likeness are synonymous. They go one and the same. Female, femininity, if I can say that. And Christ's likeness are synonymous. 
God created male and female. He created them both. Together they bring a balance. Together they bring a wholeness. Together they bring unity and equip the body of, of, of Christ for the advancement of the kingdom of God. You've got to have both. And the truth is the world wants to emasculate men. It wants to take their power away. It wants to hide them in the shadows. But God needs men who will stand up and be what God created them to be for their families, their church and their communities I'm passionate about this in case you can't tell so what happens in the story is David says okay you guys go away to Jericho and I could talk a lot about Jericho here and the fact that they go to Jericho is significant but for time's sake I won't get into that tonight but all transitions what stands between you and your promise is always a Jericho Will you get your dignity back? And so what happens in the story? David takes care of the abuse of his men. Ammon realizes that they've made a mistake and so they go out and hire Syrians. If you read this out, you'll, you'll see all this in the text. He, he hires Syrians to help them fight against David and this is the response of the people in verse 12 and I love this. I'm going to read it from the King James Version. In verse 12 it says, Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of God, and the Lord do that which seemeth good. Let us be the men for our families and our cities and let God work out the details. But today, they've humiliated my brother. They've humiliated our our king. And today, we are going to stand as men and we're not going to take whatever they cast down to us or throw our way. We need some men with some gumption this morning that will say, I don't care what you think about this, but this is what we're standing for. This is what we're living for. And this is the way this house will operate. Amen. And then this is the final outcome of the story, verse 18. It says, the Syrians fled before Israel. David killed, I love this, 700 charioteers, 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians, and struck Shobak, their commander of their army, who died there. And when all the kings who were servants to Hadiazar saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. You bet you're right they don't help you anymore. We need manhood to put the enemy in his place. We need, we need manhood released and masculine spirit released in the culture to put darkness at bay. It is the masculine side of God that is always the warring side. It is that side that fights against the enemy. And yes, we need to stand in our place of authority and push darkness back so our families can breathe and experience the power and presence of Jesus Christ. It's going to take some men to stand up in that place and say, not in my house will these things take place don't ever touch our beards again put the man back into manhood another story is the story of David when he's on the run from Saul 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1 if you want to turn there with me It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was disconnected 
discontented, gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. The next lesson that David taught and showed his son through example is that you have to get out of the cave at some point in your life. At some point in your life, you can no longer live in a cave. David is on the run from Saul, and so he goes here. Why is that? Because David has been anointed king, and Saul is the current king. Saul is threatened because, again, an insecure leader sees everything as a threat. And so Saul is threatened by David's promise and potential. And so David is hiding in the cave. There is always going to be people who try to put you in a cave and keep you in a cave. There are always going to be people that try to shut you down, keep you out, to try to diminish the promise of God in your life, to to undermine the potential in your life. There's always going to be that crowd and that person that has nothing to say about your destiny and your future that is good for you to hear. Saul just sees him as a problem. But God saw him with potential and saw him with promise. Here's the attitude that you have to have is that nobody is going to put me in a cave. David at some point in his life had to come to the realization while he was in the cave that he was not a caveman but a king. You can't be a king while hiding in a cave. And we all have to come to the understanding sometime in our lives that what I am today is not all that God has intended me to be. That there's promise in me. There's potential in me. I'm going somewhere. I'm not hiding in this cave forever. But there's going to come a day when I step beyond the darkness into the light and accomplish what God has called me to do. And and God has called every one of us to be kings and priests with Him through Christ Jesus. So the the call today is to come out of the shadows, to step into the light of your calling and your destiny and purpose because you'll never realize that under the cover of darkness. You can't realize your full potential while hiding. Why am I saying this to you today? Because I believe that men are vital to their families. Men are vital to their churches and communities. Don't let the enemy convince you that you are not necessary. You are vital this morning. My family would just be better off if I wasn't around. That's a lie of the enemy. They need you there, but they don't just need your presence. They need your engagement. They need you to be involved in their lives. Be of good courage is a scriptural refrain. It's something that God says over and over and over over to us. Courage is a requirement of leadership. You have to have courage to come out of a cave. And courage is the virtue and the quality and the attributes of life that enable a man to face disapproval, persecution, to face fear, failure, and even death with true manliness. So take courage. Get out of the cave. Leave the shadow life behind and let your light shine for God. God has made you and there is potential in you. The potential that you have is never realized in a cave. 400 men. The scripture tells us 400 men reside 
in the cave with David. He can't be a king in a cave and none of these men can find their destiny in a cave either. But here's the deal. David's courage was a key to their courage. When he finds courage to come out of the cave and step into the kingship, other men find the courage to do the same. If you'll go on and read in 2 Samuel verse 23, it gives a list of some of the men that found themselves once they left the cave. It tells you that their description going in was that they were discontented, they were in debt, they were dismissed as people, they were just disconnected and just troubled people. But in verse or chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, it tells you a list of David's mighty men. The same men went into the cave, they come out with potential realized on the other side of it. And they were accomplished great things. Men who were no one in the cave stuck in obscurity and irrelevancy. But once they came out of the cave, they became mighty men. You don't know what you can be as long as you hide in a cave or live in the shadows. But you come into the light and you'll see what God can do with you and what God can do through you. So get out of the cave. The next lesson comes from a well-known probably the most well-known part of David's life, and that's the battle with Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, and I'm not going to read Scripture to you this morning just for sake of time, but you know the story well. David is tending sheep. His father comes to him and he says, your three brothers are fighting. I want you to take some stuff to them, some resources to them. So David goes down and he finds his brothers, and then each day this uh, giant Goliath starts coming out and taunting the the, the armies of, of Israel defying them, making fun of them. David happens to be here at the time when, when, these, when this giant is, uh, is doing his daily rhetoric. And David says, what are you guys going to do about that? What do you mean, what are we going to do about that? Don't you need to be tending sheep? They always try to dismiss. Anytime a man tries to stand up for what's right or do what's right or rise to the occasion, you can expect dismissal from those around you. They try to dismiss David. Why don't you go back and take care of business? You, this has not, nothing to do with you. David said, it has everything to do with me. I'm a child of Israel too. And I'm not going to let anybody or anything stand there and defy it because you're too yellow to do anything about it. And so David says, I'll take care of this. And I'll fight him. And you know the story. David gets five stones. He goes out into the battlefield. Goliath mocks him. He tries every way to intimidate him off the battlefield. He calls him names. You're a dog. Are you a dog that you should come at? Or am I a dog that you should come at with sticks? Who are you, little boy? Why are you out here? This is a men's game. Why are you playing out here in this field? You're going to get hurt. He tries every way to intimidate him off the battlefield, but David doesn't take the bait. Because David is on a mission. And his mission is greater. He's been defined not by those around him, but he's been defined by the word of God himself. So David takes off, sinks a stone in the giant's head, cuts cuts his head off with his own sword. And so the lesson here from David is that we have to get into the fray. At some point, you've got to launch yourself into the fight. You've got to get yourself onto the arena of life. You know, it's one thing to come out of the cave, but if you don't get into the fray, it doesn't matter. 
Nothing happens unless something happens. I know that's profound, but it's the truth. You know, nothing happens unless something happens. Thinking about something happening is not something happening. Change is not change until it's change. Amen? It's, it's not giving until it's given. Amen? I mean, and so there's just a lot of things here that, that the truth is we can think about it till we're blue in the face, but at some point we have to have engagement. You've got to get into the fray. Victories occur because someone has the courage and audacity to step onto the battlefield, to step into the fray. Men, men don't let fear control them. They face it and they overcome it. Why? Because the spirit of fear doesn't come from God. But what does come from Him is the promise that you are more than a conqueror equipped with the spirit of God. That's His word to you. 1 Samuel 17, 32 says this, Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I'll deal with it. David was, you know, that, that, can I just say that that is an issue that we face in our culture. Men, women, it doesn't matter. Your gender, it's, it's alike all across the board. Is that we have this mentality that yes, we recognize a problem, but somebody else will take care of it. That somebody that recognizes the problem is the somebody that's supposed to take care of it. We have to take care of it. I can't wait for it to change because somebody finally wakes up to it and decides to fix the problem. It is my duty to engage the culture around me. David says, don't let your hearts fail because of him. You guys go back into your hidey hole and I'll take care of this. He tells Goliath, he tells Goliath in verse 45, then, the David, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. You kidding me? I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You think a sword and a spear and a javelin is going to deal with him? You are mistaken. And we do not step onto the battlefield alone. But we have God Almighty backing us. That's like I said, what God wants for men is manhood. And He will back you if you will express that in the world around you. Get in the fray. Lastly, this morning, in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. You see, after David got out of the cave of life and he started to walk in the future that God had promised him. There came a point, there's a, there's a space in between those two areas. You understand that. There's always a space between the promise God gives us and the realization of that promise coming to pass in our lives. And sometimes that space is lengthy and that's where we have to learn endurance and patience. It's in that space that patience and endurance are cultivated. It's in that space that we don't grow weary in well-doing knowing that at some point our due season will come. And so there is a space there where we labor in obscurity and that's that faithful testing place where we are faithfully tested about the things of God and if we're going to stay steady and stay true and, and really trust God. But there comes a point... And we even see it in David's life. He spent over 16 years on the run from Saul. Already, already, all that time, 
had already been anointed king over Israel. For 16 years, he's on the run. But there came a day when the people around him, it says the people of Judah came. And there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And so here's the last lesson that David teaches us for this morning. Is that we have to live in our destiny. You have to live in your destiny. You have to start believing who you are and what you are and start living as though you're that thing before you really ever are. Some of you today, if you're, you're, you're a mother in the house, you say, I'm just not a good mom. I'm just struggling. I'm having difficulty. Listen, you have to start calling things that are not as though they are. You have to start believing today that you are a good mom. Start operating as though you are a good mom. And there will come a day when you look around and say, hey, I've done a pretty good job, actually. It's the same way with dads. I'm not a very good dad. I struggle in these areas. Yes, you may struggle today, but there will come a day when the anointing of God will rest on you in such a way that all those around you will recognize the potential greatness that resides in you. Every man, every woman has greatness within them. Every man and every woman has greatness within them. Listen, God authors... I love this thought. God authors His desire in us so we can fulfill them and bring His kingdom to earth. God fulfills the desires of our heart. How? By authoring those very desires in our heart. You you know, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says that we are His workmanship. That word workmanship is, is poema. It's where we get our word poem, but it also has a connotation of tapestry. We are God's poem. We are God's tapestry. And each day he's writing a new line, a new rhythm, a new new rhyme for us upon our lives. Each day he weaves a new piece of fabric into the very uh, fabric of our lives, a new thread into the fabric of our lives. And he is building in us a very beautiful picture of his craftsmanship. So it's never instantaneous. It's always progressive. But I encourage you today to understand and know and believe this and to live as such, in such a way that it exemplifies your belief in this truth that you have potential greatness within you. There is good things inside of you. All of us have to discover our destiny and then we have to live in that destiny. God has given us a purpose. God has prepared for us His will. God has made for us a calling. And that destiny is something that we must connect with. It's all about being obedient to the plan of God. Because this is a truth too that we have to understand is that a ton of prayer will never produce what an ounce of obedience will. A ton of prayer will never produce what an ounce of obedience will. I'm not trying to undermine the spiritual side of anything because I believe obedience is as absolute, as much spiritual as praying. But we sit on the sidelines oftentimes praying from our cave when God's saying to you, I already told you what to do and it starts with you getting out of the cave. It starts with you getting into the fray. 
It starts with you living in the destiny that I've called you to. You have to be obedient to the plan and will of God. Live in your destiny. Morgan, would you come this morning? These are the lessons. And there's many, many more. We could go on all day with lessons from David. David is a great uh, example of what a king and a father and a shepherd should be. These are the lessons that David exemplified before his son Solomon. And these are the things that he expects of him in his final plea in 1 Kings 2.2 when he says to him, Be strong. Be strong. Let Let me just say this to you as well. That the world flies in the face of a man's strength. It's counter to a man's strength. It operates against a man's strength. The enemy knows that if men are men, it is one of the greatest oppositions that he faces in this life. You know, it tells us, we, you know, of course we've been doing man church, a lot of this material came from our study and the things that we've been doing in our book. And it tells us in there that the average father spends about 30 seconds a day undivided attention with their children. That the absentee father is the curse of our day. Why? The enemy has done his dead level best at neutralizing the effects of manhood in our culture. He's made fun of it. He's minimized it. He's made it into this uh, idiotic brute who cannot comprehend simple things. When the reality is... He knows that his greatest threat to his kingdom is men being kings and priests and prophets in their churches, homes, and communities. Amen. He says, be strong and prove yourself a man. So here's what I'm asking of men in the building as everybody stands all across this place. Who here will put the man back into manhood this morning? Who here will get out of the cave? Who will get into the fray and who will live in their destiny this morning? I'm speaking to men this morning right now. This altar call is specific to them at this particular juncture. But if you will... If you will and say, I will be that man then I'm asking you to step out of your seat and join me at the front this morning amen amen can I just say to everybody else ladies every man here needs affirmation in his manhood What a man needs is a woman or a father, preferably both, who believes in him, who supports him, who allows him to stand in that that place that he was designed to stand in. If you will affirm them 
and you're there and you say, I will believe in them, I will support them, whether or not you've got a, a father up here or a, uh, or a husband up here, you have a brother up here at the very least. And if you will say to me this morning, I will affirm them, I will believe in them, I will support them, and I will even allow them to be men, then I'm going to ask you to come and stand behind them and support them this morning. We have a pledge that we do each time that we come together in in Man Church. And today, I'm going to ask you to repeat that pledge after me this morning. This is the pledge to me of stepping into that place that we've talked about today. And so, if you will, just repeat this after me, you men. And I don't want you to say it timidly. I don't want you to say it half-heartedly. I want you to speak it vocally. I pledge to come out of the shadows. And occupy my rightful place as a man of God. I reject mediocrity. And embrace the potential greatness within me. I will love my family as Christ loved the church. I will stand in my home. My church. My community. As a godly king. A holy priest. And a fearless prophet. No fear, no reservations, no playing it safe. I make no apologies for being a man. I'm a man and I will act like it. Father, help us today. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We'd love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 945 for Sunday school and at 1030 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself down on your shore You say come to the